letter eight of red gauntlet by sir walter scott this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by dion gines salt lake city utah letter eight alan fairford to darcy latimer thou mayest clap thy wings and crow as thou pleasest you go in search of adventures but adventures come to me unsought for and oh in what a pleasing shape came mine since it arrived in the form of a client and a fair client to boot what think you of that darcy you who are such a sworn squire of dames will this not match my adventures with thine that hunt salmon on horseback and will it not besides eclipse the history of a whole tribe of broadbrims but i must proceed methodically when i returned to-day from the college i was surprised to see a broad grin distending the august countenance of the faithful james wilkinson which as the circumstance seldom happens above once a year was matter of some surprise moreover he had a knowing glance with his eye which i should have as soon expected from a dumb-waiter an article of furniture to which james in his usual state may be happily assimilated what the devil is the matter james the devil may be in the matter for aught i can said james with another provoking grin for here has been a woman calling for you master allan a woman calling for me said i in surprise for you know well that excepting old aunt peggy who comes to dinner of a sunday and the still older lady bedrooket who calls ten times a year for the quarterly payment of her jointure of four hundred mercs a female scarce approaches our threshold as my father visits all his female clients at their own lodgings james protested however that there had been a lady calling and for me as bonny alas as i have seen added james since i was in the fusiliers and kept company with peg baxter thou knowest all james's gay recollections go back to the period of his military service the years he has spent in ours having probably been dull enough did the lady leave no name nor place of address no replied james but she asked when you would be at home and i appointed her for twelve o'clock when the house would be quiet and your father at the bank for shame james how can you think my father's being at home or abroad would be of consequence the lady is of course a decent person eyes uphold her that sir she is none of your whew here james supplied a blank with a low whistle but i didna ken my master makes an unco work if a woman comes here i passed into my own room not ill-pleased that my father was absent notwithstanding i had thought it proper to rebuke james for having so contrived it i disarranged my books 
to give them the appearance of a graceful confusion on the table and laying my foils useless since your departure across the mantelpiece that the lady might see that i was tam marte quam mercurio i endeavoured to dispose my dress so as to resemble an elegant morning de chable gave my hair the general shade of powder which marks the gentleman laid my watch and seals on the table to hint that i understood the value of time and when i had made all these arrangements of which i am a little ashamed when i think of them i had nothing better to do than to watch the dial-plate till the index pointed to noon five minutes elapsed which i allowed for variation of clocks five minutes more rendered me anxious and doubtful and five minutes more would have made me impatient laugh as thou wilt but remember darcy i was a lawyer expecting his first client a young man how strictly bred up i need not remind you expecting a private interview with a young and beautiful woman but ere the third term of five minutes had elapsed the door-bell was heard to tinkle low and modestly as if touched by some timid hand james wilkinson swift in nothing is as thou knowest peculiarly slow in answering the door-bell and i reckoned on five minutes good ere his solemn step should have ascended the stair time enough thought i for a peep through the blinds and was hastening to the window accordingly but i reckoned without my host for james who had his own curiosity as well as i was lying perdue in the lobby ready to open at the first tinkle and there was this way ma'am yes ma'am the lady mr allan before i could get to the chair in which i proposed to be discovered seated in all legal dignity the consciousness of being half caught in the act of peeping joined to that native air of awkward bashfulness of which i am told the law will soon free me kept me standing on the floor in some confusion while the lady disconcerted on her part remained on the threshold of the room james wilkinson who had his senses most about him and was perhaps willing to prolong his stay in the apartment busied himself in setting a chair for the lady and recalled me to my good breeding by the hint i invited her to take possession of it and bid james withdraw my visitor was undeniably a lady and probably considerably above the ordinary rank very modest too judging from the mixture of grace and timidity with which she moved and at my entreaty sat down her dress was i should suppose both handsome and fashionable but it was much concealed by a walking-cloak of green silk fancifully embroidered in which though heavy for the season her person was enveloped and which moreover was furnished with a hood the devil take that hood darcy for i was just able to distinguish that pulled as it was over the face it concealed from me 
as i was convinced one of the prettiest countenances i have seen and which from a sense of embarrassment seemed to be crimsoned with a deep blush i could see her complexion was beautiful her chin finely turned her lips coral and her teeth rivals to ivory but further the deponent saith not for a clasp of gold ornamented with its sapphire closed the envious mantle under the incognita's throat and the cursed hood concealed entirely the upper part of the face i ought to have spoken first that is certain but ere i could get my phrases well arranged the young lady rendered desperate i suppose by my hesitation opened the conversation herself i fear i am an intruder sir i expected to meet an elderly gentleman this brought me to myself my father madam perhaps but you inquired for allan fairford my father's name is alexander it is mr allan fairford undoubtedly with whom i wished to speak she said with greater confusion but i was told that he was advanced in life some mistake madam i presume betwixt my father and myself our christian names have the same initials though the terminations are different i i i would esteem it a most fortunate mistake if i could have the honour of supplying my father's place in anything that could be of service to you you are very obliging sir a pause during which she seemed undetermined whether to rise or sit still i am just about to be called to the bar madam said i in hopes to remove her scruples to open her case to me and if my advice or opinion could be of the slightest use although i cannot presume to say that they are much to be depended upon yet the lady arose i am truly sensible of your kindness sir and i have no doubt of your talents i will be very plain with you it is you whom i came to visit although now that we have met i find it will be much better that i should commit my communication to writing i hope madam you will not be so cruel so tantalizing i would say consider you are my first client your business my first consultation do not do me the displeasure of withdrawing your confidence because i am a few years younger than you seem to have expected my attention shall make amends for my want of experience i have no doubt of either said the lady in a grave tone calculated to restrain the air of gallantry with which i had endeavoured to address her but when you have received my letter you will find good reasons assigned why a written communication will best suit my purpose i wish you sir a good morning and she left the apartment her poor baffled counsel scraping and bowing and apologizing for anything that might have been disagreeable to her although the front of my offence seems to be my having been discovered to be younger than my father the door was opened out she went walked along the pavement turned down the clothes and put the sun i believe into her pocket 
when she disappeared so suddenly did dullness and darkness sink down on the square when she was no longer visible i stood for a moment as if i had been senseless not recollecting what a fund of entertainment i must have supplied to our watchful friends on the other side of the green then it darted on my mind that i might dog her and ascertain at least who or what she was off i set ran down the close where she was no longer to be seen and demanded of one of the dyer's lads whether he had seen a lady go down the close or had observed which way she turned a lady said the dyer staring at me with his rainbow countenance mr allan what takes you out rinning like a daft without your hat the devil take my hat answered i running back however in quest of it snatched it up and again sallied forth but as i reached the head of the close once more i had sense enough to recollect that all pursuit would be now in vain besides i saw my friend the journeyman dyer in close confabulation with a pea-green personage of his own profession and was conscious like scrub that they talked of me because they laughed consumedly i had no mind by a second sudden appearance to confirm the report that advocate fairford was gan daft which had probably spread from campbell's close foot to the meal market stairs and so slunk back within my hole again my first employment was to remove all traces of that elegant and fanciful disposition of my effects from which i had hoped for so much credit for i was now ashamed and angry at having thought an instant upon the mode of receiving a visit which had commenced so agreeably but terminated in a manner so unsatisfactory i put my folios in their places threw the foils into the dressing-closet tormented myself all the while with the fruitless doubt whether i had missed an opportunity or escaped a stratagem or whether the young person had been really startled as she seemed to intimate by the extreme youth of her intended legal adviser the mirror was not unnaturally called in to aid and that cabinet counsellor pronounced me rather short thick-set with a cast of features fitter i trust for the bar than the ball not handsome enough for blushing virgins to pine for my sake or even to invent sham cases to bring them to my chambers yet not ugly enough either to scare those away who came on real business dark to be sure but nigra sunt hyacinthi there are pretty things to be said in favour of that complexion at length as common sense will get the better in all cases 
when a man will but give it fair play i began to stand convicted in my own mind as an ass before the interview for having expected too much an ass during the interview for having failed to extract the lady's real purpose and an especial ass now that it was over for thinking so much about it but i can think of nothing else and therefore i am determined to think of this to some good purpose you remember murtoff o'hara's defence of the catholic doctrine of confession because by his soul his sins were always a great burden to his mind till he had told them to the priest and once confessed he never thought more about them i have tried his receipt therefore and having poured my secret mortification into thy trusty ear i will think no more about this maid of the mist who with no face as twere outfaced me four o'clock plague on her green mantle she can be nothing better than a fairy she keeps possession of my head yet all during dinner-time i was terribly absent but luckily my father gave the whole credit of my reverie to the abstract nature of the doctrine vinco vincentum ergo vinco te upon which brocard of law the professor this morning lectured so i got an early dismissal to my own crib and here am i studying in one sense vincera vincentum to get the better of the silly passion of curiosity i think i think it amounts to nothing else which has taken such possession of my imagination and is perpetually worrying me with the question will she write or no she will not she will not so says reason and adds why should she take the trouble to enter into correspondence with one who instead of a bold alert prompt gallant proved a chicken-hearted boy and left her the whole awkwardness of explanation which he should have met half-way but then says fancy she will write for she was not a bit that sort of person whom you mr reason in your wisdom take her to be she was disconcerted enough without my adding to her distress by any impudent conduct on my part and she will write for by heaven she has written darcy and with a vengeance here is her letter thrown into the kitchen by a caddy too faithful to be bribed either by money or whisky to say more than that he received it with sixpence from an ordinary-looking woman as he was plying on his station near the cross for allan fairford esq barrister sir excuse my mistake of to-day i had accidentally learned that mr darcy latimer had an intimate friend and associate in mr a fairford when i inquired for such a person he was pointed out to me at the cross as i think the exchange of your city is called in the character of a respectable elderly man your father as i now understand on inquiry at brown square where i understood he resided i used the full name of allan 
which naturally occasioned you the trouble of this day's visit upon further inquiry i am led to believe that you are likely to be the person most active in the matter to which i am now about to direct your attention and i regret much that circumstances arising out of my own particular situation prevent my communicating to you personally what i now apprise you of in this matter your friend mr darcy latimer is in a situation of considerable danger you are doubtless aware that he has been cautioned not to trust himself in england now if he has not absolutely transgressed this friendly injunction he has at least approached as nearly to the menaced danger as he could do consistently with the letter of the prohibition he has chosen his abode in a neighbourhood very perilous to him and it is only by a speedy return to edinburgh or at least by a removal to some more remote part of scotland that he can escape the machinations of those whose enmity he has to fear i must speak in mystery but my words are not the less certain and i believe you know enough of your friend's fortunes to be aware that i could not write this much without being even more intimate with them than you are if he cannot or will not take the advice here given it is my opinion that you should join him if possible without delay and use by your personal presence and entreaty the arguments which may prove ineffectual in writing one word more and i implore of your candour to take it as it is meant no one supposes that mr fairford's zeal in his friend's service needs to be quickened by mercenary motives but report says that mr allan fairford not having yet entered on his professional career may in such a case as this want the means though he cannot want the inclination to act with promptitude the enclosed note mr allan fairford must be pleased to consider as his first professional emolument and she who sends it hopes it will be the omen of unbounded success though the fee comes from a hand so unknown as that of green mantle a bank-note of twenty pounds was the enclosure and the whole incident left me speechless with astonishment i am not able to read over the beginning of my own letter which forms the introduction to this extraordinary communication i only know that though mixed with a quantity of foolery god knows very much different from my present feelings it gives an account sufficiently accurate of the mysterious person from whom this letter comes and that i have neither time nor patience to separate the absurd commentary from the text which it is so necessary you should know combine this warning so strangely conveyed with the caution impressed on you by your london correspondent griffiths against your visiting england with the character of your laird of the solway lakes with the lawless habits of the people on that frontier country 
where warrants are not easily executed owing to the jealousy entertained by either country of the legal interference of the other remember that even sir john fielding said to my father that he could never trace a rogue beyond the brigand of dumfries think that the distinctions of whig and tory papist and protestant still keep that country in a loose and comparatively lawless state think of all this my dearest darcy and remember that while at this mount sharon of yours you are residing with a family actually menaced with forcible interference and who while their obstinacy provokes violence are by principle bound to abstain from resistance nay let me tell you professionally that the legality of the mode of fishing practised by your friend joshua is greatly doubted by our best lawyers and that if the stake nets be considered as actually an unlawful obstruction raised in the channel of the estuary an assembly of persons who shall proceed via facti to pull down and destroy them would not in the eye of the law be esteemed guilty of a riot so by remaining where you are you are likely to be engaged in a quarrel with which you have nothing to do and thus to enable your enemies whoever these may be to execute amid the confusion of a general hubbub whatever designs they may have against your personal safety blackfishers poachers and smugglers are a sort of gentry that will not be much checked either by your quaker's texts or by your chivalry if you are don quixote enough to lay lance in rest in defence of those of the stake-net and of the sad-coloured garment i pronounce you but a lost knight for as i said before i doubt if these potent redressers of wrongs the justices and constables will hold themselves warranted to interfere in a word return my dear amadis the adventure of the solway nets is not reserved for your worship come back and i will be your faithful sancho panza upon a more hopeful quest we will beat about together in search of this urganda the unknown she of the green mantle who can read this the riddle of thy fate better than wise epi of buckhaven well known in the chap-book called the history of buckhaven or cassandra herself i would fain trifle darcy for in debating with you jests will sometimes go farther than arguments but i am sick at heart and cannot keep the ball up if you have a moment's regard for the friendship we have so often vowed to each other let my wishes for once prevail over your own venturous and romantic temper i am quite serious in thinking that the information communicated to my father by this mr harry's and the admonitory letter of the young lady bear upon each other and that were you here you might learn something from one or other or from both that might throw light on your birth and parentage you will not surely prefer an idle whim 
to the prospect which is thus held out to you i would agreeably to the hint i have received in the young lady's letter for i am confident that such is her condition have ere now been with you to urge these things instead of pouring them out upon paper but you know that the day for my trials is appointed i have already gone through the form of being introduced to the examinators and have gotten my titles assigned me all this should not keep me at home but my father would view any irregularity upon this occasion as a mortal blow to the hopes which he has cherished most fondly during his life viz my being called to the bar with some credit for my own part i know there is no great difficulty in passing these formal examinations else how have some of our acquaintance got through them but to my father these formalities compose an august and serious solemnity to which he has long looked forward and my absenting myself at this moment would well-nigh drive him distracted yet i shall go altogether distracted myself if i have not an instant assurance from you that you are hastening hither meanwhile i have desired hannah to get your little crib into the best order possible i cannot learn that my father has yet written to you nor has he spoken more of his communication with burns work but when i let him have some inkling of the dangers you are at present incurring i know my request that you will return immediately will have his cordial support another reason yet i must give a dinner as usual upon my admission to our friends and my father laying aside all his usual considerations of economy has desired it may be in the best style possible come hither then dear darcy or i protest to you i shall send examination admission dinner and guests to the devil and come in person to fetch you with a vengeance thine in much anxiety a f end of letter eight